So why does a coffee company have a team of software engineers? What would it feel like if you could somehow take the way it feels when you order a Blue Bottle coffee in San Francisco? What would that feel like online? As a product manager, focusing on both starting things and finishing and thinking about the finish line when you start. This is like super hard because we get excited about an idea and we want to like, well, if we just have momentum, we'll figure it out as we go. But even if you're building a feature for a technology platform, think about the whole plan. How are you going to roll it out? What's the strategy for the data? Stuff like that. Hi, I'm Craig Kirsteins. And I'm Remus Silkaitis. And you're listening to Practical Product, a bi-weekly series where we discuss product management and some of the unique challenges we face in dealing with defining the right product and all of the coordination necessary to help teams build it right. Practical Product is brought to you by HeavyBit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, or if you have a specific topic you'd like us to dive into, you can reach us at practicalproduct at heavybit.com or on Twitter at Practical Product. All right. Welcome to another episode of Practical Product. And today we have with us Scott Rocher. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. And myself, Craig Kirstein's, as usual. Scott, where do you work at? I work at Blue Bottle Coffee. Okay, so this is about like tech and product management. So I guess for those not familiar, like everyone in San Francisco probably knows Blue Bottle. Yeah, I don't know if you guys kind of started this, some of the San Francisco coffee craze. Sure, we can give you credit for it. I'm sure you want that. Definitely. Um, yeah, I think you probably did. Like you're one of the ones I think most people knows about. We've been um, around for 14 years now. Okay, so uh, actually longer. I guess longer than I've lived in the Bay Area. So wait, and didn't you take a round of funding at some point? We've taken a few rounds of funding at this point. So it's startup like. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It 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 started though in in our founder's kitchen. Literally he was roasting coffee on a perforated baking sheet and uh you know, he describes that his whole kitchen was full of smoke, but he started roasting this excellent coffee that his friends and other people around the Bay Area started to take notice of. And it just grew from there. It became a farmer's market stand. And and now we have, uh, I think as of last week, 29 or 30 locations around the world, including in Japan now. So we are a, a global uh, retailer. Wow, very cool. Yeah. I had no idea about some of those those things at all. Um, I didn't either. Can you, can you describe what your role is at the company? Yeah, so I'm uh, the director of digital product development which means I am sort of uh, directing the team of engineers, product managers, designers, and sort of uh, guiding where we head with our digital products. Did, so, I, sorry, I think we're both confused. <laughs> you said your coffee shop yep. that's taken funding. So one already confused. Right. And then digital, digital products. products. So why does a coffee company have a team of software engineers? Is one question we get a lot. Yeah, I think let's yeah. let's let's just start right there because I think you know myself and Rima is like we're, we're database guys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Which for us, when we you know come on the show and we talk about you know data driven product management, well, it's really easy and straightforward because we live and breathe SQL. Yep. Why do you need tech product management? Well, the team focuses really on three areas. One, which is the most obvious, is everything. If you go to bluebottlecoffee.com, we have a website there. We have an e-commerce experience. We have a really popular subscription service where you can sign up and we'll send you fresh roasted coffee every X number of days of your choosing. But sort of behind the scenes, we're also building 
technology that helps different teams around Blue Bottle do whatever their job is. For example, cafe managers use the products that we build to order coffee for their cafe, to look at metrics, to understand what's going on with like their part of the business. And so is this cafe managers in your Blue Bottle shops or other shops as well too? No, uh, just okay. so we actually don't do wholesale anymore. So anywhere where you're having a cup of Blue Bottle coffee made for you is going to be either in your kitchen or at a Blue Bottle cafe. So kind of curious there, like you said, we don't do wholesale anymore. What yeah. can you <laughs> share a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. It's been over a year now. We made kind of a, a, a gutsy decision to pull out of wholesale. So we used to used to be able to buy blue bottle beans for your cafe if you had a coffee shop somewhere around the country. You could order coffee from us and we would deliver it to you or ship it to you. Yeah, I think I remember, you know, getting blue bottle coffee at not a blue bottle in San Francisco. Like I I, I actually thought I still could. So okay, keep going. Why, why did we why did that happen? Part of it was the experience you get when you have a drink made for you is something that we're really, really, really serious about as a company. And so we wanted to be able to control that experience a little more and make sure that it was kind of up to our standards. And then, you know, it helped the us, I think, this is my opinion, I think it helped us as a company kind of focus on the areas that we really wanted to, to grow. And that's retail, digital, and we also have consumer packaged goods, so, you know, Okay, so no, I think yeah. that that makes a good bit of sense. I think it's probably worth taking a small detour and, and elaborating that like there are different levels of quality of coffee. Um, so like within San Francisco, you find a lot of very good coffee. You guys help create, I think, a lot of that trend. Mm-hmm. Um, it's they call not the same. It, they as, call it the third wave of coffee. We okay. can talk more about that, but yeah. But I mean, there is definitely a quality there, and it's all coffee is not the same, right? Yeah, I mean, we certainly think that there's different sort of uh, levels. And whether it's the way it tastes or the way you feel when you walk into a cafe, that also comes into play. And that can even affect the way you think it tastes. Um, Hmm. And we think all of those things are super important. So I want to start diving into this marriage between software and the physical product. You mentioned that you know we talked about the wholesale part of this and how you want a curated experience when you come into the retail store because that's critical to the brand and the business. How do you tackle that in terms of product management, you know, on on the digital side when, you know, it is very much about experience. How do you deliver that in digital form? Yeah, we we talk a lot uh, on the team about one we we sort of always ask like what would we do in the cafe? So, if we're making a product decision on a web page, and it's supposed to help you choose a coffee. We kind of go back to what Blue Bottle is all about, which is that cafe experience. And so we sometimes the team will actually go to a cafe and stand there and say, "Hmm, I'm not sure which coffee to get. What would you, as a barista, guide?" Yeah, that's like, going to be my next question. Yeah. Like, how much does the team actually get out and fill that experience? Right? Like, when it's a developer-focused product, you've got a team of developers that understand the product. Usually, how does that translate? Like. Are your developers have they been baristas before? Have they like what like how familiar are they with like what it's like to work on the other side of the counter? I think you know the corporate side of Blue Bottle, meaning like we call it HQ. So these are people who work outside of the retail cafes. Okay. Um, it's fairly small, 
but it's a super important part of our culture that everyone in the HQ really understands retail and and what it's like to be in the cafe. The other thing I was going to say is that everybody on the digital team has kind of come to Blue Bottle to work on coffee. Like we we range from like coffee nerds to just people who love Blue Bottle coffee, but it's definitely like the thing that binds the team together. And so a big part of our particularly in the onboarding experience is making sure that everyone understands like what's going on in retail because it guides a lot of like how we we think about products on the web as well. And I've heard about this of some like big box retailers that like even in like tech and IT you rotate into test these jobs, you kind of shadow people. Do you do anything like that or is it like you haven't necessarily implemented that, you just make sure they have a good consciousness for it? No, we we do we all do uh, shifts the training program at Blue Bottle is really intense for a barista, which is one thing that sort of attracts people to come work with us. Mm-hmm. It's like really incredible what you learn through that. And so not everybody on the digital team has gone through like the intensive, you know, one, two, three week training. But there are roles in the cafe that you can do without training. You can bust dishes, you can work the point of sale, which we use Square at Blue Bottle. And then you can sort of like as you get trained, graduate to pour over coffee or espresso or latte art and things like that. Which is the the most complicated? The the pour over, the espresso, the latte art? Like what's the the milk art is definitely really intense. And that's like something we actually have latte art competitions inside Blue Bottle because even people who are career baristas are like it's almost a thing that you've done it a thousand times and you're trying to get a little bit better each time you do it. We we draw some of our culture from like Japanese this idea that you're always trying to hone your craft. I'm sure you all can relate to this. And so you can make a cappuccino a thousand times, two thousand times. And really at the root of the retail experience is every time we make the next one, it should be a little better than the last one. We also think about that as we open more cafes or we sell more things through the website. How can we make it a little bit better as we get bigger? And that's of course like the secret sauce that we're we're uh, we think we're figuring out, but uh, as we get bigger and we raise more money, like you mentioned, you know that becomes like really important that we don't lose who we are. So we we talk about going into the retail stores as someone on the digital team. Are there any other differences when it comes to uh, let's call them user testing, right? Because you know from the digital product side, you know just software in general, you know I'm used to. And Craig mentioned, you know, you have a team of developers there. You can get them to test things for you. Granted, I always like to remind people that sometimes the people working on the product may not be the people actually using it on a daily basis, or the the target customers. Sometimes, are there other things in that regard when it comes to user experience testing that you do that might be different than something that we might do in the SaaS world? Yeah, this is one really interesting thing when we sort of get to our. We have like a weekly meeting at Blue Bottle where we just talk about the different areas and how things are going and try to share ideas. And it's funny when we get to digital, just because of the nature of the of the way the web works, and you all and many people listening will know this, but we can measure it almost everything uh, on the website. So people are always kind of the retail team's always like, wow, how did you you know, it's so nice that you know how many people visited a site and how many people clicked this thing and how many people bought. And being able to be so data driven is really powerful. It helps us understand the psychology of, you know, we call it the online guest. 
So we have our cafe guests, we have people coming online. Many times it's the same person. And so some of the things that we do are very kind of qualitative. So we will invite people who are really happy subscribers to get on a phone call with us or come to meet us in the office, and we'll just talk to them about their experience and try to understand just in four or five cases how they're experiencing our products. That makes a lot of sense on the like the consumer side, right? On the like the website, you track a lot of things. I'm a data guy. That makes a ton of sense. Are you able to do the same thing like for the things you're building for like the retail stores? Like how what's the level of kind of like data intensiveness that you have? Like can you drill in a little bit more there? Uh, I can. We have a team of people that is able to kind of pull insights out of some of the data that we have. The data in retail is we certainly have less of it. You know, if people think that we're we have some sort of uh, camera and we're doing machine vision and counting people in a line, we don't do that. That would get into the realm of maybe like creepiness. <laughs> but I think a lot of the data in retail, quote unquote data, is more of that qualitative nature. So we we share a lot of ideas, and the key there is like if a cafe manager in Oakland or in New York or in Japan finds that moving the flower vase to the opposite side of the register increases the number of people we can serve in a certain time period, then that's kind of the kind of data that we're using in retail. So like, uh, you know, there's that qualitative piece of like, are you mostly just listening to them of like, hey, we moved this vase over here and it drove traffic. Are you using that with data? Are you you able to like run... A/B tests on like, do we move this flower pot over like one yeah. store versus the other and see what the impact is? Yeah, we run tests a lot, um, particularly at the cafe next to our headquarters in uh, Jack London Square in Oakland. And if you walked in as a, as a guest, you wouldn't know that you were part of an experiment. They're not. They're actually usually very uh, small tweaks, but they're usually things about the physical space. Honestly. If we reconfigure the place that you place your, you know, the the location where you place your order, how does that feel to people? What metrics does that move? There's not a ton of metrics in retail, but you know, the amount of guests we can serve per time period is a big one. And sometimes like the layout of the cafe can affect that. But we also are very serious about the way it feels when you enter the cafe and we balance the way it feels with the data. So are you like at the on the other side of you know as you're leaving they have cafe kind of like they do at Disney World like can we take a quick survey what was your experience to to measure that or how are you measuring that side of it sometimes we do that we try not to um, customers we, don't love the the survey at the end <laughs> no no we we do sometimes like someone will go and observe but we try not to interfere with the experience because it's the thing that makes Blue Bottle so special to a lot of people. But you know, we do have a culture of kind of learning and testing and iterating, which has been really interesting. I think it's that way of thinking has increased a lot since we've gotten a little more focused on on digital and online, just because we're able to move so fast. You know, you talked about A B tests on online. We do those all the time on the website. And I think that has slowly influenced retail a little bit to try to try more experiments. Particularly, you know, as the years go on with older cafes and stuff. So it's like kind that. of a, a new thing. I mean, I know someone like you know a, a Walmart does this, right? But yep. but for you guys, it's kind of a, a new thing that it sounds like actually from the tech side, you're kind of influencing the rest of the business. Is that 
a kind of a safe statement? I mean, I'm the te- I'm come from the tech side, so yeah, I hope that that's happening in a positive way. But I think one important thing is that Blue Bottle will always be, you know, sort of a cafe first company. And we're okay with that. Yeah, and, you know, from me and Remus, it's always okay to take all the credit when you know when <laughs> when it's unclear of if you influence it and like it's up for debate. You can always claim the credit there. Can you give me a rundown? I mean, we've, of um, one thing here that we've been talking about a lot uh, as part of this episode, and that is qualitative research. Yeah. You know, can you give me the types of qualitative research that you're doing? I'm, I can imagine something like ethnographic research and kind of what those things yeah. are. One thing for people listening, if you're not familiar with. Google Ventures design sprint process. It's something that we uh, have done twice at Blue Bottle, um, and we work. The way it works is um, you can actually run these on your own. And there's a book called Design Sprint, or I think it's just called Sprint, and you can buy it on Amazon. It actually is like a guide to how to do this process, and it's very qualitative. And it's the, the idea here is that you, uh, if you think about a normal sort of like product. Development life cycle where you're doing all the steps exactly right. The design sprint is a way to skip a lot of the steps and learn. So um, the idea is that you come up with concepts that you want to test and you build prototypes that don't actually work. And you actually bring in real, either potential customers or actual customers, and you have them walk through the prototypes. And you learn which what works and what doesn't, and it's a five day process. That's one thing that we've done twice and has yielded uh, amazing insights. What are some of the tools you use there to like build the prototypes? I think that's one yeah. thing I, I commonly hear. Yeah, I've seen a few, heard of a few. I don't know of a ton that are absolutely loved. What are the tools you're using there? So we had three teams when we did our last one, and John and Jake, who who helped us facilitate, they they work at Google Ventures. They said, "Hey, it, each team, it's up to you what you build your prototypes with." They suggested that we use either Keynote or a few of us use a product called Marvel, which is kind of like Envision. If if a lot of more people have probably heard of Envision, yeah, I've had a, a good experience with it before. Mm-hmm. And so we basically built screens and states uh, with Sketch, and then just outputted them, and then you stitch them together with with Marvel or Envision. And so when the people go through the process, it feels like they're using a real website. It can be like a little frustrating for them sometimes because like not everything is clickable and not everything works exactly how you would. But basically, when you have them run through it, we would record. The screen as well as the webcam, so we could see their face, and it was just like really interesting to watch someone use a product that you kind of want to build, but would have taken you way more than one day. We had one of the days in the sprint is prototype day, and so you're able. We were actually able to build basically three massive products or prototypes of products and learn which one of them was going to work. And did you go on to then like ship it after the fact, and were it was it yeah. successful in the way you expected? We were. We took some insights uh, from one of the prototypes we built, and it's turned into actual features of our subscription service at Blue Bottle. And we actually, as we've grown the team, we share sort of the audio recordings and the learnings 
uh, I put together a little uh, like keynote for that I gave because everyone, only seven people from Blue Bottle were able to go to the design sprint process, and so there was this whole sort of like second level of people at the company that wanted to hear like what happened, what did you learn, and so we did a little presentation, you know, a few weeks later, and and Wait, so it sounds like typical product management that you've got to go in like market internally, evangelize, communicate what you're doing and why. It sounds similar, but you have a physical product. Yeah. So, and one thing you kind of hit on there, like the subscription service. We talked about kind of the the retail, the e-commerce. Mm-hmm. How does the physical thing work? Like, I, I thought I'm only supposed to, you know, deal with um, AWS and build software on top of it. Like, how do you manage <laughs> a physical product? Can you talk a little bit about that? It's complicated. You know, when you're selling something that's virtual or access to a service. It's not without complication, but you know you figure out how much to charge someone, what the right business model is, um, what are the levers you can you can pull. And so you're saying our job is easier than yours, is what you're saying? <laughs> no, I <laughs> I think yours is harder in some ways, and mine is harder in other ways. I think when you have to think about you know a lot of the experience that that people come to Blue Bottle for. Is really tied to the physical product. So at the end of the day, we talk a lot about that our technology and the website experience should be almost invisible. So we talk about invisible technology. For example, at Blue Bottle, we use a payment processor called Braintree, which I'm sure many people are familiar with. And that's a detail that we is not important to our customers at all. It and in fact, it's so uh, abstracted away. That once you sign up for a subscription, you really shouldn't have to think too much about it. Really, the experience is you sign up on our website, and then every two weeks or three weeks or four weeks, you get a box in your mailbox of fresh roasted coffee. And that's kind of like all of the tests and optimizations and all the sort of product managery stuff that we do is all about how do we make that easier and more invisible. You know, we always talk about people waking up in the morning and thinking about our coffee. We don't want them thinking about our our website or our emails or anything like that. So, does that make more work for you or less? Like, how does how does you know, as a PM of digital products, how then how do you tie into that world? Because that sounds very different, kind of like inventory management to me. Yeah. Versus traditional kind of tech product management. Yeah, a big part of our of the products we build are things that. People can't see at bluebottlecoffee.com. So we've we've actually built a lot of technology to help each of our roasteries understand what coffee they need to roast each day and who it needs to go to. It's highly complex. And if you visit one of our roasteries and you look around, you're not going to see shelves of bags of roasted blue bottle coffee everywhere. Those are all roasted to order. So if you went on our website now and you ordered a bag of coffee. That's literally going to be sent to the roastery tomorrow morning and uh, roasted and shipped to you that day. So logistically, it's super complicated, but it ends up being this amazing experience for customers. And so again, a lot of what we think about is how do we make it easier for that to happen? Reliable shipping. So a lot of it's logistics. I want to go back to something you had said earlier, and that is uh, making the web and the, the digital products seem invisible to some extent. To me, that is kind of alluding to a set of product principles that you may have. 
Do you have something like that as part of the product management teams? And if you may, like share some of the other principles. One thing we talk about is how do we reduce friction and highlight the value of our products? And that's kind of goes back to this idea of invisibleness. So yes, we are measuring things and we look at funnel analytics and we look at and we use a number of tools to do that. But at the end of the day, it's really about how do we create an experience for people that is easy, that it feels like Blue Bottle. And when I say that, this we talk a lot about this in the product team. What would it feel like if you could somehow take the way it feels when you walk into the ferry building and you order a Blue Bottle coffee in San Francisco? What would that feel like online? And this is like, a really challenging thing for us. Um, you just you just create a flash animation of it being poured <laughs> in, and your problems solved. Yeah, we right? go totally well, like, skewed. As long as they don't use iPhone, then yeah. <laughs> but you can do it in probably like SVG animation now, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. We we could do totally skeuomorphic, like like three D, where you walk up to the counter and that's how you order a, a bag of coffee. No. <laughs> All right, so how's it? How does that translate? A, I, in my head, the, I get it, but then like, or I understand the words. Yeah. But it's a hard problem. How do you even approach that? I think a lot of well, you just said I understand the words. I think the words that we use throughout the experience and the customer life cycle are something that's they're really important. So the way we talk to you through the internet needs to feel like how a barista might talk to you. And a lot of our remember I talked about that intense training. It's not all about the technique of pouring milk into a cappuccino. A lot of it is about uh, what are the principles around how we think about serving people and hospitality. And that extends to the digital experience too. So how do we make you feel special? And this is even harder online because we don't see you face to face. We have an amazing, amazing customer support team. And, and we say this all over the site, all, in every email. Hey, you should email us and we'll help you brew coffee. We'll help you if there's a problem with your package, let us know. Um, so you'll come to my house. You're offering to come to my house and brew my coffee for have, me is what I'm 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 hearing this, that as an offer. This sounds like an awesome deal. We I wish we could offer that as a service. We have though with some customers who are really stumped and want to figure it out how to brew coffee at home. We have done some like Google Hangout sessions. Please don't email uh, customer support and ask them to do a Google Hangout with you. But if you're really stumped and you can't figure it out, we will go to those kind of links to make sure that this is where, as a product press person, you just way overpromised and yeah, and I you know. have I'm customer like, support. I'm sorry, customer support. <laughs> I'm curious now, like. So you've done Google Hangouts with people explaining how to brew yeah. coffee. Have these people never brewed coffee before, or was it like? I think what? like they're coming to us. They've heard about a common story that we hear is that somebody sort of like has heard about Blue Bottle. Maybe they were listening to a podcast and they heard, "Hey, Blue Bottle is this amazing coffee company," and so they order a bag and then they get it home and then they brew it themselves and they're like, "Well, this." I think this should taste more amazing, and it must be something I'm doing. Sometimes it is something about the brew method. Sometimes it's not, but we kind of want to be there as your sort of like guide as you go down the rabbit hole. So, as and, the product team, how much do you get involved with some of that? Is it solely customer support? Because I know as the product person, like usually on the the tech side, I want to feel a lot of that pain, right? Yeah. I don't want to just like. So you're answer, you're answering support tickets. I know I do at mm-hmm. times and. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, like, even at a huge scale, I try to like read through. I, I think you know, 
at one point when my particular team had 200 tickets a week, I would read through 50 of them randomly just to sample what was going on and then sometimes go yell at some some people. But but it was like, <laughs> if I didn't feel that pain, see what they were going through, right? It it didn't get back to the product. So like, are you doing those sort of things as well? You know, like... Yeah. We, we physically sit next to the uh, customer support team. And so, so they let you know how they feel. Yeah. And when there's problems, we talk about it, but they also like are constantly sharing great news. So we also use Slack at Blue Bottle uh, to communicate across regions and also really just with each other inside the office. And so we're constantly um, sharing both positive and constructive criticism. And that's in the form of tweets, of tickets. It's really awesome to be able to see somebody who who emailed us and said, "Hey, I think I'm brewing this wrong or I need help. I don't I want to get into like pour over. I heard that's a thing. What's pour over? What should I order?" And we sort of like help them through that process and then to get a ticket at the end of that uh, or a reply and it says, "Oh my god, I just I just brewed a cup and I like this is the best cup of coffee I've ever made at home. I didn't know I could do that." That really fuels the the entire product team, engineers, product design, everything. That's kind of like why we come to work every day. So it sounds like there's a lot of passion with everything that everyone's doing. I mean, it's pretty obvious right now. You know, it just, sounds like perfect, delicious coffee. Everyone's excited. <laughs> Does that mean that when it comes to like hiring practices for product or anything else like that, that that's one of the things that you need to look for? I think one unique thing that we look for when we hire for product is somebody that can be a bridge between technical people who are experienced with building technical things and people who don't do computer. So we have a lot of our colleagues that we work with that we're actually building products for mm-hmm. internally that don't really aren't like what I would call like techie people. They do a lot of like technical skills but not like traditional tech. Not that so not like the software engineering. Yeah, stuff. no, no, like no, yeah. So, for example, um, like what are some of those jobs and roles? Yeah. Like as an example. So, for example, um, the other day I was, uh, she's going to be embarrassed, but I was um, hanging out with Juliet, who's our lead roaster in Oakland, and so she's this like highly skilled artisan. Like when I watch her, I think, wow, like you know a lot of stuff about what's going on when you apply heat to a green coffee bean, an unroasted coffee bean. And I was watching her do her, her stuff while I was actually helping her with a, with a tech issue, like a software issue. And so part of the products we build help her do her job. But at the same time, you know, we have to be able to like bridge that gap. And so when we hire product managers, they really have to be people that don't get frustrated when someone's like not used to using a, a website to do something that we, of course, think is obvious. But we're really like kind of driving technology into these jobs where a lot of it's done like you just like do it however you can. So you're using like. Google Spreadsheets or Excel or uh, literally a lot of the roasters have a notebook, pen and paper, and taking notes about how the c- coffee's tasting and stuff, and like that's their logbook, almost like a, like a scientific logbook. And so the people we hire really need to be able to like be that bridge between all these people. I thought it was hard to hire product managers just for <laughs> technical software products. Now this is a whole other level. I mean, is is it pretty challenging to yeah to find those individuals? Yeah, and it's it's interesting because uh, I think a lot of product managers 
like when they see that Blue Bottle Coffee is hiring a digital product manager, it's kind of like the same reaction we had at the beginning of the podcast, which was like, wait, wh- why does like, Blue Bottle have website, a tech team? Right? Yeah, like that's yeah. what you do. You make yeah. the website pretty. Yeah, that's the goal. You know, I, I hope some people are listening and thinking, "Wow, this sounds like an awesome product management job." I think. Yeah, it's let's a, talk. I, after. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> hey, um, <laughs> I was going to do that. It's definitely a very unique place to work. Unique challenges too. I think that goes back to what I've, what we've said quite often, or at least I know I have during this this podcast, which is sometimes you are not the you yourself and or your engineering staff are not your own customers, right? You need to put yourself in the shoes of other people yes. and or go back to things like ethnographic research where you're observing and watching how other people are doing things because and, and I know I have that problem sometimes too where yeah, I'll I regress should... into that and say, oh man, like this is how I would do it, but that's not necessarily the right way. I guess coming back to the kind of the tech side, right? Like I, I kind of know my customers a little bit. I, I work on a distributed database. I understand that world, so I have some of that built-in empathy. But I'm curious if you have any advice for like the people out there that aren't as familiar with that environment. Like, how do you build that empathy? What would you advise for like maybe junior PMs to? Or anybody looking to join an organization like Blue Bottle, for example, which I I think is good for any PM to to have. Like, mm-hmm. what advice would you give to them to to pay attention to? A lot of it's about personal relationships, and so part of the onboarding experience at Blue Bottle is literally around connecting new people with old people. I know it sounds obvious, but a lot of companies don't do this. They sort of say, "Hey." I'm going to throw you in the deep end. You need to go figure out who to talk to and who's important and who's not important and who you, who is going to help you get things done. And so what I try to do is introduce product managers to people like Juliet who I mentioned earlier like hey go hang out with a coffee roaster for an afternoon, get to know them, talk to them about what product management is. By the way, no one at Blue Bottle knows what product management is. So yeah, <laughs> and, do you, how do you, how do you prep Juliet for that, right? Like yeah. I, I would actually love to go and hang out and see like the lead roaster. You like, should come. <laughs> um, but like, how do you like? Is she open to this? Like yeah. on the other side, because I think that's the other thing is like, hey, you're interrupting my work. I'm trying to get stuff done here. How do? Is there any issue with balancing that? Like, if they don't know what a product manager is, are they just open to it? Yes, uh, I think Blue Bottle just has all these different different departments that are really focused on different areas and making sure they do. Everything as best as we can. So we have like culinary. We have a quality control department. Quality control being of coffee. Um, so they're like tasting. So you co- don't care about code quality. We do a lot. Um, we can talk about that <laughs> if you want. Um, but uh, yeah, so we have all these different departments, and we're all like working really hard to make Blue Bottle great. But I think we're also really good about connecting cross departmentally, and we we all kind of like feel like. We're a little bit of a family. It still feels like a small company, and that's kind of part of the DNA. So I think it begins with like a culture across the company of people being open to that. And then part of what I look for when in our product managers is like someone that can explain. Like one of the questions I ask in our interviews is like, what does a product manager do? Which is something that many people have written about and talked about. I'm sure you know you all think about it all the time. But if someone like kind of stumbles through that, or they can't, like they're going to have to explain that to a lot of people throughout their career at Blue Bottle, and so that's like it's important. You have to tell the story of like what you do. What do you do here? You know, 
I, I still don't know what I actually do as a product manager. <laughs> so yeah. Welcome to the club. <laughs> that is our, our one goal of the podcast to eventually figure that out. Yeah. And we we've talked about hiring uh, product managers, um, you know, kind of off and on. But uh, you know, what's your what's your process that you have for that? Um, do you go through like a starter project or an example project or anything else like that? Yeah, we we actually have a, a I have a number of questions that are sort of like designed to elicit stories. And you learn a lot when you ask somebody a very open-ended question like, tell me about a time when you were trying to convince engineers to do something and they just didn't want to do it, and how did that turn out? And just let them talk. That's like a really important, because it's really hard to measure someone's like abilities in an interview setting. And then yeah, we talk about a little bit about like, well, if you were a product manager here, uh, what ideas do you have? And just I think creativity is really important because we're trying to do something different. We don't actually talk that much about competition. We do a little bit, but it's mostly like what would be the best experience for our guests online? And we just kind of do that. And it's that's like again part of the DNA of Blue Bottle, which is like, hey, we just want to be the best for for our customers. Excellent. So, uh, where can I submit my resume? Uh, bluebottlecoffee.com slash careers. <laughs> so I've got one one final final question, and then if there's anything you particularly want to kind of leave our listeners with as as good advice or input or kind of thoughts on product management. But coming back to earlier in the show, what is the coolest piece of latte art you've ever seen? Ooh, I have seen someone actually create a dragon in in a cappuccino, and I it 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 wasn't purely just with the milk pouring it involved like some using some uh, like toothpicks and stuff like that, but they were able to create this like, was they like, like Mortal Kombat dragon. The, like toothpick, like the toothpicks were in part of the dragon, or no, no, no. Like once they poured the art, they were able to like make the hands. They uh, like drew with the toothpicks. yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was like pretty cool. Um, was this it, a blue bottle employee that did this at one of the competitions, or just like the coolest? I don't think so. I think I just saw that like in part of the. You know, there's this like barista cup where they there's all these competitions yearly. So if you're interested in that, you can you can Google and they they video they like live stream this and it's like a global event now. We'll we'll see uh, if we can find the one and post it with the the show notes. Okay, uh, cool. Anything else uh, you want to kind of leave our listeners with? Yeah, we we've been talking a lot about as a product manager on the team, focusing on both starting things and finishing, and thinking about the finish line when you start. And this is like super hard because we get excited about an idea and we want to like, well, if we just have momentum, we'll figure it out as we go, which is like a natural human thing. But particularly with all the physical products we talked about and like roasting and shipping and we at Blue Bottle, we really have to think about like, well, how are we going to get this thing into inventory? How is it going to be physically made? Is it going to overwhelm the, the roastery? Like, what's it going to feel like when you get it in the mailbox? And so... That would be my advice for people: is like, even if you're building, you know, a, a feature for for a technology platform, think about the whole plan. Um, how are you going to roll it out? What's the strategy for the data? Stuff like that. Excellent. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. That's all we have time for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you have a PM topic you'd like us to dive into, you can reach us at Practical Product at HeavyBit.com or on Twitter at Practical Product. To learn more about HeavyBit, visit HeavyBit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 